In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him everything was made, and without him not one thing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. The light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as an eyewitness to testify about the light so that everyone would believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The real light that shines on everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to what was his own, yet his own people did not accept him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. They were born not of blood or of the desire of the flesh or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. We have seen his glory. The glory he has is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him. He cried out, This was the one I spoke about when, he said, when I said, The one coming after me outranks me because he existed before me. For out of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only begotten Son, who is close to the Father's side, has made him known. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd like to show you this morning some purposeful similarities between what John said in our Gospel reading and the beginning of Genesis. They're kind of modeled after one another, similar to one another, and I'm going to kind of be flipping back and forth between John and Genesis. We can begin with how they share the opening line, in the beginning. John says, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the second person of the Trinity. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Genesis says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. John actually fills us in a bit, a detail about that creating, how it took place. He says, through him, that is, through the word, everything was made back in Genesis. Without the word, not one thing was created that was made. Everything that is spoken about in Genesis chapter 1 comes through the Son, through the word, made flesh. And in fact, this corresponds with Genesis, with how Moses describes creation. God speaks creation into existence. It says in Genesis, God said, let there be light, and there was light, or let the earth produce plants, vegetation that bears seed, and trees that bear fruit with its seed in it, and so on. There's all manner of words. God said, let there be, and there was. So as John says, all things were created through the word, and there wasn't anything created apart from that word who has become flesh, the one we know of as Jesus. There's a strong focus on light 
in our gospel reading from John. It says, The light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that shines on everyone was coming into the world. And this, too, has a correspondence to Genesis. Listen now to the words of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was undeveloped and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. When God created the heavens and the earth, it says that the earth was undeveloped and empty. Another way of saying this is that it was chaotic and disordered. And so in creation, God, through the word, the Son, set about creating order as the Holy Spirit hovered over the surface of the waters. The first thing that God does to put the earth into order is to create light. And then he separates the light from the darkness organizing things. He called the light day and the darkness he called night. And this was before he created the sun, moon, stars, and so on, which were not created until the fourth day. God created and organized light from darkness without the aid of what we believe gives us our light, what we believe are the sources of the light. Thus and so, God organized things in the beginning. In Genesis, light came so that there was not just darkness, and God separated the light from the darkness, thereby bringing about order. Now listen to what John says. In the word was life, and the life was the light of mankind. The light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The real light that shines on everyone was coming into the world. He, that is Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to what was his own, and yet his people did not accept him. You can hear from what John was inspired to say the same kind of thing that was going on in Genesis, but here we're dealing on a different level. In Genesis, we hear about created light and then how God puts things into order. In John, we hear about the uncreated light, the true light, which is the life of mankind. Genesis has one kind of darkness. The darkness in John is a bit different. The darkness in John is spiritual darkness, darkness of unbelief, darkness of alienation from the life of God, Jesus came as the light to bring light, to put in order that which was disordered. And this is what we precisely see Jesus doing in the Gospels. Jesus puts in order that which is disordered. He puts in order that which is disordered in the body so that the deaf hear and the blind see, and the lame walk, and so on. More deeply and fundamentally, 
Jesus heals that which is disordered in the soul. He casts out demons. He binds up the devil and plunders him of his spoil. He redeems sinners from the devil, purchasing us from the devil with his death. When John speaks of the Son of God being the true light that shines on everyone, this is really what he's talking about. The darkness is not just physical darkness. This darkness is much more sinister. It is the darkness that would bring about the death of Christ. God sent his Son to rescue us from the darkness, and he rescued us from the darkness by plunging his own Son into the darkness. And this separates us from the darkness, putting in order that which is disordered. Now, the way that God does this recreating, ordering, life-giving work in Christ is unusual. That is to say, it's not by normal means. The normal way for disorders to be healed is to study the laws and the principles involved for how things are supposed to work through normal Natural means, doctors, for example, have come a long way by understanding the principles at work so that they can help the deaf to hear and the blind to see and so on. They've figured out how these things work and they've acted accordingly. And the normal means for making someone better morally is by laws and principles too. teach them so that they learn what is good and bad and right and wrong, and then can get busy implementing those things. Now, there's a lot of power in the use of these normal means for setting things right. Doctors help a lot of people with the problems that they have with their bodies. Psychologists help a lot of people with problems that they're experiencing but we always have to manage our expectations with these normal means. Doctors can do only so much. There comes a point in time when they can't prevent a person from dying. Psychologists and psychiatrists have their limits too. In a way, even the very best and most advanced health care is only something of a Band-Aid. The recreating, ordering, life-giving work of Jesus is different. Listen to how John describes it. He came to his own, and yet his people did not accept him, but to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave authority to become children of God. They were born not of blood, nor of the desire of the flesh or of a husband's will, but they're born of God. Here we hear something unusual. The high point of what was said is that we may become children of God. And maybe you've heard this enough, often enough, so that it doesn't sound too strange. But it is strange. How can anybody be God's child how can anybody be born as a child of God? 
We can't even really become different people. Even if we were to enter our mother's womb a second time to be born, that still wouldn't make us a different person. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. As Jesus says in John chapter 3, in order for anyone to see the kingdom of God, we need to be born again by the water and the Spirit. And that means that children of God are born through baptism that is then held to by faith. Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Paul, in Titus chapter 3, calls baptism a washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. There's very deliberate birth language that corresponds to what we heard from John. Those who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, have the authority to become children of God. And such children of God are not born by natural human seed, nor by any human striving, nor by any father's determination to create a child. We are born of God by baptism and faith. And that's stuff that he must do, and he must create. Such siring and birthing may sound strange, and frankly, it better sound strange, otherwise you're not paying attention. Literal children of God are born through baptism. Entering into our mother's womb a second time is at least something that we can visualize, even if it's ridiculous. There's no visualization of this birth that Jesus talks about except a childlike acceptance of faith. Jesus says, I'm born again. Jesus says it is a second birth by water and the Spirit. Jesus says that whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Jesus makes it so that I die together with Christ in baptism, and therefore I will also be raised as Christ was raised. Although this be strange, it is God's prerogative to do things the way he wants to do things. We might want God only to work in ways that we pre-approve and understand. But what would that make us, actually, in relation to God? Wouldn't we really be the ones who are God, telling him how he has to do things? If we don't understand something as well as we like, or it's mysterious and we don't like that, then we just dismiss it and reject it, ignore it. Let me mention something else in this regard that's already come up. God created light on the first day, and he separated light from the darkness, and he called the light day, and he called the night the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning that first day. And yet the only sources we know of for light weren't created, weren't further organized by God until the fourth day. How could that be? How could there be light without the sun, without the moon, without the normal means for light. In fact, I can't fully visualize what that first day must have been like. I can't visualize a day with light without the sun, without a source of light. But that's okay. What so often happens, though, is that 
pseudo-intellectuals, whether these pseudo-intellectuals have advanced degrees or haven't even graduated high school, pseudo-intellectuals will rise up and declare Moses an idiot, the Genesis account a myth, and the only so-called proof that they have, that they really have, is that if they were God, they wouldn't do it that way. They would have made light on day one, you see. Or they wouldn't have made day light on day one, you see. They'd make, they'd make the sun and the moon, and then, it would, then we'd have light. It's as though Moses should have caught that error while he was proofreading. Unfortunately, the same pseudo-intellectualism happens with Christmas, too. People reject the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Why? Because they have some proof? What proof could they possibly produce one way or another? There is no proof possible. This is a matter of belief and unbelief. All that's going on is that they're using that big brain of theirs, and they figure that if they were God, they wouldn't go about things the way that has been described. They'd make it understandable and accessible. They wouldn't talk about being born again or death and resurrection. They'd be a better writer than the Holy Spirit. Set aside shallow judgments, petty criteria. Your thoughts aren't nearly as infallible as you think they are. Listen instead to what the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle John in Jesus is a recreation, higher, profounder than the creation of Genesis. And it's all there in Jesus, the Word. In Genesis, the light was created. Here we have the uncreated light. The light is the Son of God, through whom everything was made. He came to bring order out of chaos, life out of death. Light out of darkness. And he promises you grace upon grace, a new life, and the ability to see God. The word becoming flesh and dwelling among us is what we consider at Christmas. And it is profounder than what is talked about in Genesis. The peace of God that transcends all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.